For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is Colombia Calling, episode 417. So... How did you enjoy 416 with Simon Mejia of Bomba Estéreo? If you haven't tuned in, tune in. I don't really know how we ended up getting the <laughs> one of the founders of Bomba Estéreo on the podcast, but it was great to talk to him. How interesting that documentary that uh, they'll be making, the Yuma Rio Sonoro, uh, about the Magdalena River and the music. Of course, our Patreon supporters, those of you who are, you know, donate a little bit per month to us to the podcast to Emily Hart's newscast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia calling those of you that support us there got a file to listen to a one hour exclusive dj set from simon mejia himself uh, described as like afro-colombian indigenous electro funk or something of that nature anyway uh pretty cool though and that is for you the patreon supporters only no one else gets the right to those interesting uh, podcasts uh, obviously lined up for you in coming weeks but today episode 417 we've given it a week or a few days since the sunday legislative and congressional elections and we've got old friend director of columbia risk analysis sergio guzman back on the show to discuss what happened and how some of the intricacies might play out regarding this political landscape in the run into the first round of elections, the presidential elections on May 29th. So very interesting times. Do we all think it's going to be a Gustavo Petro versus Federico Fico Gutierrez in the second round in June? Or do we think something else might happen? Let's talk a little bit also about the makeup of Congress and the Senate, the other presidential candidates, hopefuls, what might be going on between now, May and June. So we're going to leave it with Sergio Guzman, after the break, after the news report, news briefing from Emily Hart, and then we'll be back with Columbia Risk Analysis. Check that out, columbiariskanalysis.com uh, for more information. And then uh, we will, yes, go into that. Uh, to, over to Emily now. Thank you, everyone, to, who supports us on patreon.com and ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Columbia Calling. Throw a few dollars at us. Thank you again, and don't go away. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your top stories for the week of March 21st, 2022. 
Confusion and controversy this week after the pre-count of the electoral results in Colombia was revealed to be substantially inaccurate, with hundreds of thousands of votes missing. After the results of the pre-count were given last Sunday, suspicions were raised as more than 25% of voting stations registered zero votes for left-wing coalition Pacto Histórico, statistically a serious anomaly. In the following days, E14 forms, those used to count votes, emerged with erasures, amendments and errors in the tallies. With the results of the formal scrutiny now announced, the final results are significantly revised, with three more seats in the Senate for leftist coalition Pacto Histórico, seats taken from right-wing ruling party Centro Democrático, the Conservative Party and the Alianza Verde. Pacto Histórico now has 19 seats in the Senate. Though the issue seems to have affected Pacto Histórico most seriously, there are calls of fraud from numerous parts of the political spectrum, including the ruling party Centro Democrático, which has declared the results unacceptable. The registrar, Alexander Vega, has received criticism from all sides, but says there can be no question of fraud. The Independent Electoral Observation Mission has also said that there is not enough information to conclude electoral fraud, orchestrated by either authorities or third parties, though they have asked for a recount of one quarter of ballot boxes, claiming that the National Registrar and other electoral officials made monumental errors. Around 400,000 votes for the Pacto Histórico had been omitted from the count, in what has now been chalked up to a poor design of the vote counter form, in which the Pacto Histórico, being a closed list for voting and therefore with fewer boxes, appears almost as a footnote on page 10 of the forms. Observers have also noted a lack of training of those in charge of counting votes and bugs in the National Registry database, though some cases of manipulation and alteration of the results have also been noted. The registrar had already been criticised for the failures of the platform during voter registration and problems of access to the website on polling day. He, however, maintains that he will not resign. Both the registrar and President Ivan Duque himself have called for a full recount of votes for the Senate. These calls are mounting from various sectors of the country. Others are calling for a forensic audit though Gustavo Petro is saying that the recount puts the election's legitimacy at risk and he is abstaining from public debate until transparency is guaranteed. Meanwhile, the president will convene a committee of electoral guarantees this week, formed of electoral councils, the registrar, the government, political parties and observers, in order to respond to concerns around the Senate elections. This system of a pre-count followed by scrutiny is common worldwide but this discrepancy in the results is extremely high. This scandal threatens to undermine faith in the legitimacy of the upcoming presidential elections to be held in May. Human Rights Watch has also expressed concern over the pre-count errors. Meanwhile, the winners of the presidential primaries have started to announce their vice-presidential running mates. Sergio Fajardo, leader of the Centro Esperanza centrist coalition, has announced former governor of Chocó, Luis Gilberto Murillo, Gustavo Petro and Federico Gutierrez have yet to announce. According to the latest poll on voting intentions published this week, Gustavo Petro has 32%, nine points ahead of Federico Gutierrez, who won the consultation of the right-wing Equipo por Colombia, who has 23% of 
of voting intentions. They are followed by a tie between centrist candidate Sergio Fajardo and the former mayor of Bucaramanga, Rodolfo Hernández, both of whom have 10%. Behind them, with 5%, is the blank vote, and then, with 3%, Ingrid Betancourt. Though all eyes are on the elections, the killings of social leaders continue in Colombia, including this week, Miller Correa, a NASA indigenous leader murdered in the north of Cauca, and Luis Carlos Bustamante Fernández, an LGBTQ plus activist killed in San Andrés. 43 social leaders have been killed this year, according to think tank Indepaz, as well as 10 signatories to the peace accords. The UN has once again called on the Colombian government to establish state presence and implement the peace accords. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is episode 417 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. My special guest needs no introduction. Sergio Sergio Guzman, I almost said Sergio Fajardo, Sergio <laughs> Guzman, or the director of Columbia Risk Analysis. Of course, uh, Sergio's last intervention on this show has still is still to date the most popular uh, podcast episode on Columbia Calling when we talked about the protests, the reasons behind them in Colombia. So welcome back on Sergio. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here um, to talk a little bit more about our uh, continued vicissitudes uh, and political and political, you know, ups and downs. Ups and downs, certainly the case. Let's put it into context. On Sunday, the, we had the elections, the legislative elections. So uh, all sorts of elections. That, uh, well, actually, I'm just going to pass it over to you. On Sunday, what elections did we have? So we had the congressional elections um, for upper house, lower house, the the peace seats in Congress, but also Afro-Colombian and indigenous seats uh, in the upper house and the lower house. But in addition to that, we also had the the presidential inter-party primaries. Mm. And it was the first time we had inter-party primaries that included the full this ideological spectrum, if you will. So we had an inter-party primary on the center, we had an inter-party primary on the right, and an inter-party primary on the left. And so, in a way, although our system was designed to be a two-round system, um, it effectively now is a three-round system. And so yesterday, uh, on, on over the weekend, um, it was the first of those three rounds. That's pretty exciting, though, to have, you know, the three-party system. Although, you know, let's say the third party did come in reasonably behind. But so we've got, we had uh, Equipo por Colombia with uh, Federico Gutierrez and winning, of course. I mean, of course, the Pacto Histórico, no introduction needed to the, uh, well, of course, the overwhelmingly outspoken uh, Gustavo Petro. And then, of course, the Alianza Verde Esperanza uh, party with um, Sergio Fajardo. So these are the three that sort of, you know, obviously came out. These are the three you're talking about. Correct. And, and, and the thing is, you know, a lot of listeners may be like, oh, yes, just so like this was similar to the U.S. primary system. Not at all. Not in the least bit, uh, because even though we've seen, you know, very nasty and very bitterly contested primaries 
in the United States and elsewhere. There's an underlying issue that those primaries have that this one doesn't, and that is those primaries are are are, are done within a party structure. So all candidates, whether they want to or not, are sort of structurally part of the same boat. In in this event, what we had were inter-party primaries. Mm -hmm. And so some candidates were running as independents. Some candidates had a party structure of their own. But often it was many different parties that got together and ran their favorite candidate. Now, allegedly, legally speaking, they're bound to support uh, whomever won their their inter-party primary. However, and this is where, you know, things are going to get dicey, they may just not, you know, throw their full weight behind the winner, particularly if there was bitter contests. And, and, and that, you know, we're still, we're, we're about to see, we're about to understand how, how those races are going to be accompanied by the different people. My dog Newton says hello to all the <laughs> listeners, by the way. We like a dog. We like dogs here on the podcast. Of course we do. And Newton, I can imagine him stretching out in the late afternoon sun right now. Well, <laughs> I think he's stressed about the politics, to be honest with you. <laughs> but let's, let's discuss this. I mean, you know, a few days have passed. We know who's won each of the primaries. He's in the party. But let's talk. Let's start with the, the losers. Because I, I think there's a great story here, of course. Is, uh, if we start with, and I don't think she was a loser, is Francia Marquez. Uh, you know, let, let, she came runner-up to Gustavo Petro for the Pacto Historico. But really, her 700 and something thousand votes is, is something else. Tell us about Francia Marquez. Tell my listeners about who she is. Well, you know, and, and in, in that context, you know, one of the things that's important is Francia Marquez may have lost her primary against Gustavo Petro, but she was still the third most voted person in the whole evening. So, you know, she came in second, but she definitely showed that that she's a, a force of nature and somebody who, who will have to understand going forward. Francia Marquez is, is a woman from Suarez, Cauca. She's the winner of the Goldman Prize, which is the um, Nobel Prize for Environmentalism. She's made a case of defending Afro-Colombian women's rights. And she's been very outspoken about how the current people representing Colombians in, in Congress and in the presidency aren't fulfilling expectations. And she said something in one of the debates that I think cements how a lot of people feel about their politicians. And, and she said that this straight to their face, she says, the country is expecting more from you. And I think, you know, one of the things that Francia is running is on a very highly symbolic platform uh, of antagonism, not just to the status quo, but to traditional parties and, and, and the real message that there's been exclusion for centuries in Colombia. This, is, this isn't began with Uribe. This isn't began with, you know, the, the left versus right deba debate that's been in Colombia. This is, you know, uh, a centuries-long vindication that she's going after. 
which very nicely fits into what the Pacto Historico, the historical pact, wants to address um, with, with their name. And so I think I think Francia Marquez may have lost the the evening, but in, in the long run, I think she's she's here to stay and she will be reckoned with. I think so too. And I yeah, obviously, you know, Gustavo Petro cannot turn his back on her. But could we, I mean, I don't think, this is my personal opinion, that, you know, naturally all of the votes that went for her will go to Gustavo Petro in, in May, in the first round, May 29th, the first round of the presidential elections? That That's correct, but I, I'm not so sure. Uh, and, and it really depends a lot. We're recording this on a, on a, on a Tuesday mm. evening. Um, on Friday afternoon, by, by Friday close of business in Colombia, so... When this podcast is out, after we're recording, candidates are going to have to select their um, running mate. Um, And so the question or the big question for Gustavo Petro is whether or not he will choose Francia Marquez as his running mate um, for for the general election. And, And it's yet to be determined. There's a lot of risks for Gustavo Petro in picking her because he may not be broadening his base of the electorate, um, if, if he if he doesn't select somebody who carries more weight with the center or carries more weight with sort of economically um, cogent minds, who's who he's you know shown disdain for in the past. So, whether or not Gustavo Petro decides to move a little bit towards the center uh, will be will be something that we'll know once he unveils his vice presidential pick. It's going to be so fascinating, this. I mean, the, the machinations going on behind the scenes right now must be... I'd love to be a fly on the wall on some of these discussions of seeing what's going on. Uh, of course, you have to ask, I mean, would Francia Marquez... It would be a very historic thing, you know, an Afro-Colombian woman from the regions. Uh, you know, uh, As you said, the, the, the prize winner, the Nobel Prize is uh, this the version for environmental defense and so on. Uh, I guess a victim uh, and, and all this. But would she want the vice presidency? I mean, again, historic. But would she, would she feel that she would be able to actually do significant acts within the vice presidency rather than being like awarded a ministry, for example? I mean, look, the, the vice president is one of the very few positions in the Colombian government that she cannot be removed from, uh. right? A minister works at the pleasure of the president. So if Francia Marquez were to, you know, become minister of the environment, for instance, um, and she would say something that wouldn't necessarily be complimenting of Gustavo Petro if he were to become president. Well, Gustavo Petro could sack her. Um, and, and, and Francia's political capital that she's accrued, you know, that wouldn't be fair to her. So naming her as vice president would actually provide a safeguard that she could not be sacked, that the opinions that she says would, 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 would have to be, you know, dealt with at the presidential level. But let's not put the horse before the, the, the cart before the horse here um, and, and see if exactly what happens under that scenario. Okay, so, well, let's go on to the next party, the Equipo por Colombia. So it was won by Federico Fico Gutierrez, but the loser, the, you know, the, uh, uh, Char, 
from Barranquilla. Now, there's there's interesting stories around Char. Of course, you know everybody listening will know. But why why didn't he consolidate what could have been promised? I mean, my personal feeling is he didn't make any inroads beyond the the Caribbean coast. But what, what, why why did he come in so let's say far behind Federico Gutierrez? So there, there's a number of theories. I mean, look, you know, we'll not, we won't know exactly what happened until, you know, this is, this is long gone. But look, Alex Char um, did not have the support of the Centro Democratico Party, who, who formally were not part of the coalition, but were let at liberty to, to vote. And this is a crucial point because Alex Char had said, that if he won, he would not accept Oscar Iván Zuluaga, the Democratic Center's candidate, to, to become part or to join or to adhere to his campaign. Federico Gutierrez um, had rang a very different tune. He had said, yes, we'll include the Democratic Center candidate. Um, and that's exactly what happened uh, after Federico Gutierrez won his primary uh, Surprise, surprise, Oscar Iván Zuluaga dropped out of the race and, and quickly endorsed Federico Gutiérrez. So the, the Democratic Center played a very big part of Federico Gutiérrez's election as the, the candidate um, for the Equipo por Colombia. However, the question before us now is, how will the Democratic Center be rewarded, if at all, by Federico Gutierrez, understanding that the disapproval rating for current president Ivan Duque and the dissatisfaction with the way he's run the country, the general direction the country is going, the economy, corruption, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is not necessarily helping Federico Gutierrez if he decides to endorse incumbency, so to speak. Um, and that's where I think you know, Federico Gutierrez is going to be in a bind to sort of also pull towards the center and tell people, hey, uh, I'm 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 a right wing person, but I do not represent the incumbency. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's going to be a very hard sell for for voters. I think there's ways in which he could productively do that, like understanding the vicissitudes of the implementation of the peace agreement very well, the challenges of the peace agreement, the challenges of rural populations, and start to sing a different tune when it comes to protesters and people who've opposed this government, who he's classified as vandals, as FARC-related insurgents, and other very nasty things that that is is not you know widely felt by, by many of those people who, by the way, also vote. Yes, yes. Uh, very interesting indeed. I did not know all of that about the Centro Democratico. I would imagine that Oscar Ivan Zuluaga, uh, who, you know, obviously threw his weight behind uh, Fico Gutierrez just recently, I would imagine that he's expecting, you know, uh, uh, some you know payback for this, positive payback. But like you say, the Centro Democratico were pummeled and are not popular. So again, everything everything to play for right now uh, on that level. 
And then let's move on to, well, the distant thirds, really, at this moment. Uh, you know, the Alianza Verde uh, coalition with the Esperanza, uh, the Coalición de Esperanza, which had, uh, well, Sergio Fajardo won, so sort of third place in the last elections. He came in at, you know, I would say it's a distant, uh, it was a distant win, really. But his uh, closest rival was uh, Gaviria, the academic, a former rector of the Los Andes University. What's going on there? So a number of things. I mean, look, um, this was the most contested race. Um, arguably, they they all thought they had a chance, so they went really hard against one another, um, personally attacking um, each other. They They may have been the best team, but they were really very, very rugged rivals during during this election. And I think, you know, the confrontation a lot of people were seeing on the debates, on the television screens, wasn't convincing to say, hey, you know, this is this is the change that I want. Right. Um, they they seem to be, you know, stuck in the middle of Gustavo Petro, who's casting himself as a great reformer. Federico Gutierrez, who wants to make significant changes to, to the country, but more along the securitization of the agenda. And they're sort of stuck in the middle saying, we sort of want to have both ways. We sort of want to keep parts of the status quo. We, 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 we think are all right. And we want to make strong changes to the country because we recognize that there are social uh, ills. Mm. Unfortunately, that sort of very middle of the road, um, third way um, path um, is something that voters are not very fond of right now. Voters want, you know, blood. Voters <laughs> want radical change. Voters want people who are able to to, to defend themselves. Yeah. But also, one of the things that made it very difficult for voters this turn this time around is because. Fajardo and others had originally said, we won't allow any traditional politicians into our um, group. And they were very, very adamant that they would not receive, you know, support from the Liberal Party or support from parties who, who quote unquote, had a machine um, to them. And we can we can talk about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that ended up nipping them in the butt because. Um, you you need party structures, you need machines, you need people who, who understand how to motivate uh, leaders to vote, who bring people to the polls. Um, and although there's, there's uh, an element that's associated with corruption in Colombia with that, it's, it's also unclear to, to what extent these, these uh, political parties that, that sort of abstain from participating in the election um, also made it very difficult for, for people in the center to, to, to vote as well. And so I think in a way they, they sort of um, dug their own grave when they said we, we will not receive um, support from traditional parties. We, we do not uh, do that kind of politics. And they overestimated the public's sort of opinion vote capacity. 
um, I think. It's, it's a strange one because you'd expect them to want to sort of team up with the Liberal Party. And of course, the, you know, now uh, Nuevo Liberalismo, uh, the, the Galan vehicle and, and so on and so forth. And now, I guess, do you, th- do you think Fajardo's going cap in hand back to, back to the Liberals and, and, and others to say, listen, now we've got through, now it's time? Because y- you can't get anywhere, like you said, without sort of these establishment traditional parties. They have uh, the machinery, they have the know-how, uh, and they can move voters. Um, perhaps it's time to talk a little bit about the, the machinery expected by these parties. Yeah, and, and look, I think, you know, now that Fajardo has won uh, his primary, he can negotiate with the, the quote-unquote machineries with, with, a much more, with a much clearer mandate. Mm. You know, arguably negotiating with the machineries ahead of the primaries would be sort of kowtowing to them mm. and having to be indebted. Uh, at this point, you know, he has a much stronger negotiating position, but that was very difficult to to sell voters on uh, even before. But take into account also that the coalition started um, including a a broad array of people, um, some women even, um, and some Afro-Colombians. And then as time went on, they didn't include any women or any Afro-Colombians. So it was a bunch of upper-class white males from major cities of Colombia that were trying to sell this agenda of hope and change. Um, they didn't represent the change that they suggested they were. Um, and that's something that they, they ought to change um, ahead of the first uh, presidential general election. Well, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. But I, I mean, that the movements being made in the last hours, days, that, uh, you know, that Fico Gutierrez is, is trying to be more moderate now he's got the right-wing vote. He's trying to pu- pull himself to the center, at least for the elections. And you can see he's targeting uh, that center vote. You can see that he's looking, uh, I've got to take away from the center. Do you th- would you think that's an accurate, uh, an accurate uh, uh, sort of guess from my part? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I disagree a little bit. I think, you know, for a very long time, uh, we've we've noticed that the majority of Colombians identify themselves as centrists, not as right wing, not as not as left wing. But sixty four percent of voters consider themselves to be centrist. That's very loosely defined. The center of gravity of the election so far has been Petro and Petro's message of hope and change, but. Petro's voting coefficient, the, 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 you know, the 5 million votes his, his coalition won um, over the weekend, squarely put him in second round. The, the race is not to beat Petro um, handily in the first round vote. The race is for second place. And so I surmise that the center of gravity of the election is going to move much more towards the campaign against Federico Gutierrez and against the incumbent government and against what what that stands for and what that means. And in a way that can also strengthen Petro's case, but it will also put Fico, Federico Gutierrez and President Iván Duque on the spot and hold them accountable for what's been going on in the past four years. Mm. The question is whether Sergio Fajardo, who's been 
uncontentious, un, um, you know, not a fighter, clearly, not, not, not a front man or not a, you know, firebrand, how he's going to run that, you know, aggressive campaign that, that is going to be necessary for him to be able to move up to the second place. So he has, by every single account, the toughest election ahead. Yeah, see, aggression and being aggressive and Sergio Fajardo are not things that I put together. I just don't, I just can't see it, but I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see this heat up a bit. I can see both others being aggressive, but Sergio Fajardo, he's, I mean, let's just talk about the, there's always these, uh, let's say, unfortunate photos of him looking like he's dozing away during a debate and these will come up again and again and again i mean that's that's what he's fighting against they you sort of want to say to him where are your advisors when this is happening what or beforehand have they not spoken to you uh, have they not given you a little bit of a briefing of how to behave in front of a camera intelligent guy but don't doze off during a debate aggression is not a word that i associate with sergio fajardo but i'm sure he's capable of it let's hope let's hope that he's capable of it just to to mix things up a little bit more um okay let's get on to senate and and, and congress uh, there's a lot's being made of course about all these all these uh you know votes being cast and the amazing hall amazing hall of of votes for gustavo petro and francia marquez when you look at it um a lot is being made of this let's say shift to the left uh in congress and the senate but equally said they don't have i mean the pacto historico don't have a majority in the senate or the congress do they absolutely not you know the pacto historico did win you know the largest share of or they they made the biggest gains in terms of congress but their gains will never put them past more than half of control. They need alliances. They need compromise. They need to forge uh, a majority. And given their track record at trying to do that, when, for instance, Gustavo Petro was mayor of Bogotá, or when they've uh, had to interact as an opposition to President Duque, it's, it's, you know, I have my doubts that they'll be able to to do that. So what we expect is going to happen during the next congressional election is a lot of frustration, a lot of brinksmanship, backdoor negotiations, and really trying to shape um, legislation that, that is able to pass. And look, we don't know exactly who's going to be president, but I think that the next president is going to have a Congress that's going to be very willing to bitterly oppose tooth and nail any single bill or initiative or decree, whatever comes its way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have more polarizing members of Congress, both from the right, as Maria Fernanda Cabal and Miguel Uribe were the most voted for senators representing the Democratic Center. But also you have, you know, a lot of folks on the far left that were elected in the Pacto Historico list, uh, like Gustavo Bolivar, who are equally as you know aggressive as people on the right. 
So you'll have a Congress where there's a lot of stalemate, where there's a lot of brinksmanship, where there's a lot of nastiness um, that is not going to be conducive to policymaking. You know, I want to see them try to pass a budget. You know, it's not going to be easy. Um, And even if, you know, a centrist wins, you can imagine the scenario where both the far right and the far left would, would, would come together to vote no confidence on a minister of the center. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be a shit show uh, come what may. It's, it's a tough one as well. And also you sort of think about it and you look at the Congress, you look at the Senate and I, yeah, we do need uh, obviously a reform. I don't see it happening. I don't see these, uh, you know, these parties pulling together, uh, you know, it would be uh, yellow, pinko, liberal, wide-eyed uh, innocence and uh, naivety of me to say, oh, you know, they'll they'll all pull together for the greater good of the country, but they won't. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's the truth of it. So we're going to see, I mean, in the between now, let's say, uh, and May 29th, we're going to see all of this sort of moving around and these odd political bedfellows uh, for coalitions to try to try and secure some sort of majority, either one side or the other. But I'm also there's also something else that you know has been sort of niggling away when I think about the people who voted for Petro, who maybe they'd go back to the center if they're, you know, maybe more centrist, is that I don't think people truly understand how important the Paro Nacional demonstrations were in 2019-2021. You know, this situation still exists. The issues that created these uh, demonstrations nationwide still exist. Perhaps people aren't voting for Petro because they, you know, particularly like Petro. And maybe Petro needs to, to know that as well. They're voting for a change. Uh, am I getting it across a bit? It's, it's sort of trying to explain that they're trying to vote out the same old wrinkly politicians as always, they're not a hundred percent committed to Gustavo Petro. Yes, I I agree. But that that message of change needs to be accompanied by tangible progress. What happens when four months in, Gustavo Petro is not able to dismantle the SMAD? What happens with when when four months in, Gustavo Petro is unable to pass? a tax reform that taxes the wealthy? What happens when there is, you know, a fight in the constitutional court regarding open pit coal mining that upholds the rights of the title holding companies that are miners? How how does the public react to Gustavo Petro when the measures that he tries to introduce to control inflation, which include printing money, deliver the opposite effect. I don't, I don't think they're going to be patient with Gustavo Petro and wait for him to, to actually deliver on this grand agenda of change. I think they're fed up and they're listening to platitudes from Petro and they're convinced because nothing that they've, that they've tried before has worked. Mm. So maybe giving this radical an opportunity will be, will be a, good, uh, a good time for that. But again, I, I think it's very unlikely 
that he's going to be able to deliver on many of the promises that he's making. And that's going to drive up insatisfaction from voters. Yeah, I mean, much like when he was mayor of Bogota. I mean, much like the whole you know, having his hands tied as well and making his promises. I just, uh, you know, should he win? Should he win? I just don't want him standing on the balcony like he was when, you know, during the mayoralty time, you know, calling out to the masses and making appeals to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights and so on. I, yeah, let's just get on. But with that's it. exactly what he's going to do. You yeah, you know it. I do. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a script, right? So yeah. promise, promise, you know, the sky and the moon, fail to deliver. Blame the mafias, the traditional politicians, the courts, you know, somebody else to do it. Start sort of a constitutional crisis. If it doesn't work, you know, call people to the streets and ask them to protest um, on your behalf, which is exactly what he did in Bogota on a number of occasions. Yeah, it was tiring. It was tiring. But I, I mean... We could talk about Petra forever. Let's get some other stuff in here and we'll come back to Petra as we're winding down as well. But now... We've got the elections. Ingrid Betancourt, what do we think? Well, Ingrid Betancourt. <laughs> is Ingrid I mean, Betancourt. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Look, you know, I I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Ingrid Betancourt because she's very well known to foreign audiences, but she's not that relevant in Colombia and mm. politics. Um and, and, you know, she has a compelling story, um, but she's completely out of the loop when it comes to anything in terms of Colombian politics. She's stuck on this idea that the machinery is wrong and you need to fight the machinery, right? Um, but when they asked her in a point-blank interview and they had a list of all the contenders and they were like, who would you make alliances with? Like, name me these people that you would not make alliances with and name me the people that you would make alliances with. And she she just kept asking the reporter, like, okay, does this person have machinery? And it's like, you should know this. Mm. Like, the reporter shouldn't be helping you answer these questions. You should be well-versed enough in Colombian politics uh, enough to know that Alex Char has machinery that David Barguil has machinery. You shouldn't, you know, ask innocently whether they have or not, mm. you know. Um, she she just demonstrated that she doesn't know the country that she aspires to govern. Another example is they asked her, you know, would you do a pension reform? And she says, yes, I would do a pension reform. And they were like, what would that pension reform entail? She says, I would raise the pension age. Okay, to what would you raise the pension age? And she goes like to 60. In fairness, women pen get pensioned at 57, but men get pensioned at 52. So it's not, you know, it's not, you can't just average it out and say, you know, I would raise the pension age to 60. You need to, you need to understand that you need to explain to us that you understand the problems you're going to try to address as a public servant. And what Ingrid Betancourt is sort of running on is on this illusion of. I am a victim, I am a healer, which, which she is, you know, she was kidnapped by the FARC, she has experienced severe trauma, she was a, a very, you know, anti-corruption leader when she was a senator, but this is all, this is, you know, you can't run on, on your past, you have to run on how your skills 
will best forge a future ahead for Colombia. And and so far, she's failed to do that. She's she's failed to impress us. But we continue getting headlines about Ingrid Batancourt because of how alluring it is also in part to the foreign press. Of course. That's, yeah. Uh, moving on from Ingrid, Rodolfo Hernández. <laughs> Okay, well, this is he, Rodolfo's a fun one. I hope he stays, right? Uh, a part of me is frankly terrified that he has a chance, uh, but a part of me thinks, ah, oh, this is entertaining, a respite. Um, Rodolfo Hernandez is the former mayor of Bucaramanga. He's he's 76 years old. Um, he runs, you know, a very entertaining TikTok account where he, you know, makes fun of himself, makes fun of his age. Clearly, he has. Uh, good advisors that are telling him what to do and he's no shame in doing all the foolish things that they that they make him do you know which include working out in in public parks and and things like that a la ruth bader ginsburg mm. um if you remember that mm. um but also rodolfo is is on a you know super anti-establishment politicians uh speech and he basically saying that they're all rubber barons that they're all stealing us blind um, that he's been, you know, in meetings where um, corruption is worked out and that he knows how corruption works uh, and that he's the one to stop it. And then one day they asked him, you know, OK, fine. But what are the current laws on the books uh, on corruption that you like and what what laws would you change? And he's like, frankly, I have no idea what anti-corruption laws there are, but I would make them better. And you're like, wait a minute, Mr. Hernandez, you don't, you haven't read the constitution. Like you don't know that we passed that, that, that president Duque has had an anti-corruption agenda. And there's this passed a number of successful bills to that effect. Um, don't, are, are you not aware of how many cases of official corruption have happened. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly why I'm, you know, they need to give me the government coffers, not them, me. <laughs> and so, you know, it's very unspecific, uh, but he's trying to, you know, become this sort of grandfatherly image that comes put put the house in order. So like Encanto, he's like the grandmother <laughs> that comes to fix Casita. <laughs> Has has anyone likened Rodolfo Hernandez to the grandmother in Encanto before this moment? I, don't, <laughs> I have to say, that is a first. Well, listen, we're coming towards an end. Towards. There's still too much to talk about. But okay, let let's imagine. Let's imagine that the you know the we've got the elections and we get past May 29th, and of course the, the of, well, we can we can make a best guess that it's going to be. Federico Gutierrez against Gustavo Petro in the second round because I don't I don't believe that Gustavo Petro can win in the first round. Do, could well could he could he? I don't think history is on his side, and I don't think uh, the numbers are on his side. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah, the numbers are definitely not on his side. If you consider that eighteen million people cast a ballot on the congressional rounds, and only eleven point six million people voted in the primaries, mm. Gustavo Petro got around 5 million votes. He would need decently around, you know, four and a half million votes additional to be able to make it in the first round. And I think it's going to be very difficult for him to do that, particularly because 
turnout was was in line with expectations. So if turnout would have been, you know, instead of the 47% that it was, if turnout would have been, say, 55%, then, then you could argue uh, Gustavo Petro had a, a good chance of winning in the first round. But with the turnout numbers like they were, the stakes as high as they were, um, Gustavo Petro is going to need to move towards the center um, if he wants at all to, to gain a, a, a good share of those 4.5 million votes that he needs to win in the first round. And that includes talking to the Liberal Party. That includes talking to the Radical Change Party. Um, he's not going to talk to the Centro Democrático. We no. know that, no, no. Uh, right? But but he's going to try to sell his soul to the devil for a ticket uh, to 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 win in the first round. And when he's unable to, uh, which is what we're expecting to, if he's unable to, um, then it really depends who he's matched up against. Mm. Um, that that his chances of his chances of being president. Mm. Let me rephrase that. It really depends <laughs> who Gustavo Petro is matched up against on his chances of becoming president in a runoff election. If he's matched up against, say, Federico Gutierrez, because of the anti-incumbent moment that we're in, not just in Colombia, but in Latin America, he has a decent chance of of becoming president. If he's matched against Sergio Fajardo, for argument's sake, um, one would imagine a scenario where the entire establishment and right wing might you know, embrace Fajardo uh, to to avoid Gustavo Petro. And in that scenario, Gustavo Petro may lose. But the question, Richard, is whether Gustavo Petro will accept defeat. That's another question altogether, because he's alluded to the fact that there has been widespread fraud in the congressional elections, which he won, right? Uh, What's to say that if he loses... He's not going to make the argument again and try to bring people out to the streets, same as Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador did in Mexico in 2006. Yeah, there is that, that vibe about it, isn't there? And so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking sort of, let's say, Petro Fico uh, final, you know, final in, in June. Uh, and, and what worries me the most is that we're just going to have this repetition of the same arguments. First and foremost, you know, uh, Gustavo Petro, guerrilla. You know, not to mention that you know the M nineteen was it they that he was a member of. They demobilized in nineteen ninety nineteen ninety one something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's been you know a good few years since then. He's been democratically elected uh, ever since, and he's been working in, you know democratically ever since. Uh, so that for me is a moot point, but you can't get past it. Uh, on so many and I, I understand why the stigma is there and of course then when people say oh you know when as mayor of Bogota he was dreadful yes yes he was uh, and they'll bring up the uh, was it the waste truck scandal you know the, the rubbish trucks the trash uh, trucks and so we'll hear these over and over and over again. And then on the other side with Federico Gutierrez, it'll be the links to the mafia in Medellin, the Oficina de Envigal. So we'll have it back and forth and back and forth until we're so tired that we no longer pay attention. That's, that's my we, concern. <laughs> yeah, look, we have a very nasty race ahead. Yeah. Um, let's not lie to the listeners here. <laughs> it's going to be full of disinformation. Yeah. It's going to be opportunities for mudslinging on all sides. Um, 
friendships will be torn. Families will be, you know, <laughs> the family, the family distant. WhatsApp group. Family WhatsApp groups are going to explode. <laughs> company WhatsApp groups are going to explode. There will be bosses who threaten to close the company if Petro wins. It's going to be it's going to be really nasty. Yeah. Um, and so we ought to prepare for that. Yeah. Mentally prepare. And finally, 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 I realize they've got, you know, set seats. But let's talk about Los, los Comunes. So that's the you know political party of the FARC that the, the demobilized FARC turned into. This is their second election, which they still have. Is it the five seats in the Senate, five seats in the in Congress? Correct. As as uh, you know, as uh, as explained and as written out and agreed in the uh, peace accord, two thousand and sixteen, they got you know miserable votes. They always do, but they, it, we can expect much much of the same. And we can also expect them to disappear. Yeah. after this election yeah uh, a party that gets you know 19,000 elections 19,000 votes on a nationwide um election for congress doesn't have a future they have to know this you know they have to begin thinking about what happens after our our, our political party becomes inviable right because we we failed to change we failed to turn out um we we failed to understand what the concerns of the electorate are uh, because they're clearly communicating to us that they don't want us to serve in office uh, under the present rules. Mm. Um, so I think Comunes has a reckoning ahead of them. Um, whether or not they're ready for it, we'll 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 know. But the peace agreement was very clear that that this was temporary. Yeah. That their time in Congress would expire. And so what they do with these next four years uh, is going to be very important to to understand what the future of the Colombian left is going to look like. Very interesting, though. Very interesting. You know, the second the second period. And then, you know, if they do disappear, what can people like uh, Maria Fernanda Cabal start saying? Oh, you know, the criminals and, you know, the criminals and these terrorists and these kidnappers that we've had in the Senate and the Congress. You know, what, what, what would be their next, uh, you know, target? But let's not talk about that. Sergio... Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing so generously your information, your knowledge on this on this topic. Uh, I think obviously the listeners are going to be incredibly grateful because you know just get some proper you know, boots on the ground feedback about what's been going on here. It is fascinating. It is, as you say, we're going to see some mudslinging coming up. Uh, as such is life but uh, so this has been episode 417 of the Columbia Calling podcast I've been talking to the director of Columbia Risk Analysis that's Sergio Guzman check out the website follow them on Twitter Columbia Risk Analysis dot dot org dot com com dot yep. com so Columbia Risk Analysis dot com in English and in Spanish and you can get all the proper information about Colombia. Very well studied, got a great team together uh, and you can also sign up for a mailing list as well. So Sergio, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure to be with you today as always and and I hope this makes it to number two. <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, you're following you, you're, you're following Simon Mejia of, of, uh, of Bombay Stereo. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, <laughs> All right my friends. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care.
For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.